0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code The Athletic and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a fifteen-hundred-dollar first bet offer on your first wager.
1: Go, man! Here, I'll do it. You're listening to Here's the Catch with David Lombardi, Matt Barrows, and Dennis Brown on the Athletic Podcast Network. It's Seahawks week for the 49ers, and this Seahawks week is a little different than Seahawks weeks that we're accustomed to. 49ers have a winning record. They're surging right now. They've won several straight games. They're trying to get right back in the thick of the division race. That might not be likely, but at least they're in that playoff picture, not on the outside looking in. While Seattle is 3 and 8 in the NFC West cellar and Russell Wilson is back and playing right now, I can't say with certainty that he's healthy. He probably is not 100%, but the Seahawks are still losing. That's the main thing. They're they're not playing well at all, guys. Three straight losses for Seattle. So, as the 49ers head up to the Pacific Northwest on Sunday, we're going to see an unusual dynamic. It's going to be the Seahawks trying to play spoiler Against the 49ers. And ever since we've been doing this podcast, we've only seen the 49ers try to play spoiler against the Seahawks. They've either both been in contention like they were in 2019, or it's been the 49ers as the bad team trying to, you know, ruin the hopes and dreams of the better team, the Seahawks. But this time, it's going to be the other way around. And because of that, Matt, you know it's not going to be an easy game. You know that Russell Wilson, if he's not 100% healthy right now, you know he's going to miraculously heal by Sunday. You know that the Seahawks are going to give it their all. Because right now, 3-8, and eight, uh, I'll say right now, they're not making the playoffs. But these guys are going to do everything they can to ruin the 49ers day on Sunday. And I think that's going to make this a dogfight.
2: Yeah, rough scenario for the Seahawks, for sure. I mean, we all watched them on Monday night in Washington um, lose. And uh, we watched Washington, what was it, uh, 43 carries, uh, which uh, as we know from
1: our recent- our
2: yeah, very 49ers-esque uh, from our recent 49ers games. Uh, we, we know that that takes a lot out of the defense. So the, the Seahawks had to deal with all that and then fly back early Tuesday morning. And now they've got a short week for a team that you know is going to want to, to run the ball 40 uh, times against them as well. Uh, but you also know that at some point, Dennis, Russell Wilson is going to wake up. He's going to kind of snap out of the funk that... He and the and that offense have been in, and you know he's got DK Metcalf, he's got Tyler Lockett, uh, he is Russell Wilson, and uh, I think a lot of 49ers fans are dreading that this is the the wake up week, that uh, all of a sudden uh, this team which looks so bad is going to look like its uh, its former selves against the 49ers, which would be just so on script for this uh, this 49ers-Seahawks rivalry. We always say rivalry, but it's
3: not really a rivalry because the Seahawks have pretty much owned the 49ers. But this is an opportunity. Their defense, I don't know what Ken Norton Jr. is doing, uh, but that defense has got a lot of holes in it. Uh, they've got some talented players, but you can run against this, against this Seahawks defense. And Washington kind of proved that. You know, just running the ball down their throats, wearing them out, fourth quarter, uh, and just kind of kind of doing what you want to do against this defense. But you said it. I mean, this is the Seahawks, and and it is Russell Wilson. And I was so surprised that uh, you know DK Metcalf was not used as as much as usually, or as much as he is usually used within this offense. And Russell seemed a little off. I don't know if he came back too early or what, but he seemed a little bit off. Even at the end of the game, him throwing that interception, basically to end the football game on that two point conversion. That's just not what Russell Wilson does. He's usually the one that kind of pulls out the miracle throw to lock it and you know the Seahawks go on and win a football game. So they look a little off, but you can guarantee you gotta go up to Seattle and and they've got some loyal fans, just like the 49 ers fans. And that stadium's still gonna be loud. They still hate the 49ers uh, and they always wanna beat the 49ers. So no matter what the record is, this is going to be a pretty important game. If the 49ers can kind of keep up their consistency and play the way they've played the last three weeks, I think you go in and you take care of business. But if you go in there thinking Russell Wilson is going to lay down, you're going to be mistaken, and he's going to show you up. So another challenge for this team, this is why teams, you know, you play every week. This is why, this is how you figure out the character of your team. And, you know, if, if, if you're a good football team, you go out and do what you have to do on the road. against a team that you really should You really should win. You should should beat up on this team for sure.
1: Well, the 49ers are 6-5 and now following the three straight wins. If the playoffs started today, the 49ers would be the sixth seed and they'd be headed to Tampa Bay for Garoppolo against Brady. The Buccaneers would be the number three seed. So that just gives you an idea of the lay of the land. Obviously, with six games left to play, it's too early to take something like that seriously, but it's not too early to start to get excited about what these last six games could mean. And the playoff positioning within that. For the 49ers to potentially get a home playoff game, they would actually have to win the NFC West. And uh, that's going to be tough to do with the Arizona Cardinals leading the way right now at 9-2. and two. So the 49ers are three games back in the loss column with six to play. Crazier stuff has happened, but the 49ers don't have a game anymore against the Arizona Cardinals. So they can't take a bite out of them themselves. Uh, It it would take uh, just a a big losing streak from Arizona for, for that to be possible. So in a weird season, we can't rule anything out. But I think the underlying point is that there's been so much craziness that the best you can do in the NFL these days is focus on yourself. Focus on one week at a time. And when we look at this matchup between the 49ers and the Seahawks, You see a Seattle defense that's really interesting to me. They rank last or close to last in every single defensive statistic. I'm talking about yards, yards per drive, yards per play. (laughs) I mean, all this stuff, they're bad up until points. And in points, I think they're like ninth or something like that. And it's because their red zone defense has actually been really good. You look at the other side of that equation, the 49ers red zone offense has been historically good. They have the highest red zone touchdown percentage on record, and we're already 11 games in, 77.4%. Most of it's happening under Jimmy Garoppolo, which is another great irony of this season. But it's going to be a great 49ers red zone offense against a Seahawks defense that only plays well in the red zone. So I think that's the matchup of this game. 49ers have to turn scoring opportunities into touchdowns like they've been doing, and they have to derail Seattle's script because Seattle's been bending a lot, but they haven't been quite breaking on the defensive end. This is the 49ers' chance to walk in there and break the Seahawks. And to do that, you have to punch it in in the red zone.
2: Yeah, and uh, the 49ers have been excellent at that. And, and, and red zone in Seattle, boy, what a place that's uh, sort of rife with recent history with the famous throw to Michael Crabtree. I don't know if that was technically in the red zone. It might have been just on the edge there. But then Dre Greenlaw's big red zone tackle back in, in the 2019 season. Now, I think one of the nice things about the 49ers is that Garoppolo has so many options. Kyle Shanahan has so many options in the red zone. Early in the season, one of the kind of cool stats was how many different 49ers have scored touchdowns uh, th- this year. Um, you know, there's a lot of names that, uh, you're, that aren't exactly familiar. Um, you know, Trent Sherfield early on, Drake Greenlaw had that pick six in, in Detroit, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, you know, that, that still holds true. I mean, uh, it, it can be Youth Check, it can be uh, George Kittle. It can be uh, Charlie Warner is, is probably due for one. And then, as we saw, Juwan Jennings sort of taking that role that your guy, uh, Kendrick Bourne, has had in, in recent seasons, sort of the, uh, the, the go to guy on third downs uh, in the red zone. Uh, he's got that big body and some really nice uh, kind of uh, movement skills um, where, where he's uh, a player in those situations. And with no Debo Samuel. Um, I'm not saying that Juwan Jennings is going to have a Debo Samuel like game, but they're going to lean on him uh, more than they, they have this season. And, um, you know, he seems like a guy that really kind of welcomes that. He's at his best when the emotions are high and, and the chips are down. So I think that's going to be a fun one to watch how, how he and, and Brandon Ayuk uh, operate against that vulnerable. Seattle defense.
3: Jawan Jennings is a is a kid that he's got a lot of fight. He's got a lot of spunk to him. He's exciting to watch. He's a great run blocker. He loves catching the balls. He loves those third down. Uh, he's a big body, long arms, can go up and get the ball at a high point. So it's, it, he's going to have to stand up. and He's going to have to play well. Brandon Ayuk, I think he he just continues and he he continues to to be more and more part of this offense and. And it, it almost feels like he's, he's kind of finding his groove now. Uh, the last three weeks, he's been that guy down the field. I mean, he's, he's been that long, that, that big splash play guy. So I think this whole receiving crew, and there's a lot of great, there's a lot of really good athletes, a lot of good talent in that receiver room. Now Kyle Shanahan gets an opportunity to kind of feature someone other than Debo, even though Debo has been a running back, but still his presence on the field is going to be missed. Now you have to figure out, you know, it, within the offense, kind of how you want to feature these guys, how you want to get the ball out to these guys. And that's going to be on Kyle Shanahan and uh, and Jimmy Garoppolo. So, yeah, that's going to be an interest interesting matchup because the, because the uh, Seattle Seahawks don't have much of a pass rush. They have a little bit, but if Jimmy Garoppolo can get a nice clean pocket, I think he can throw the ball and kind of eat up this
0: defense a little bit. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone?
1: Well, I'll tell you what, I saw Jamal Adams take a lot of plays off on Monday night. Uh, He made a few plays. I'm I'm not going to completely discredit him, but I don't know if it was because Washington was just pounding it down their throats and Seattle was tired or, or if this is just who Jamal Adams is. And I've heard a lot of complaints from Seahawks people verifying that this is indeed who he is, but... He was loafing out on that field. And and th- that's that's the star player, right, around whom this defense is supposed to be built. They traded so much draft capital for him. By the way, Seattle is in trouble right now. If the season ended today, Forty ers would be playing the Buccaneers in the playoffs. The Seahawks would be slated to pick fourth if they actually had their first-round draft pick. But they don't because they traded it away for Jamal Adams, who if you go and put on the tape – is is standing around on key plays in the red zone. I mean, it w- Seattle's been good in the red zone in general, but they weren't good on one of the Washington touchdowns on Monday night. It was a running touchdown and Jamal Adams just watched the guy uh, you know, run across the goal line right in front of him. Didn't even put his body in there. So, uh I think the 49ers can expose this Seattle team if they get out to a lead. I think Seattle's going to be really fired up. They're going to circle the wagons, try to you know, try to play hard Uh, At the start, and if stuff starts breaking for them, they'll continue playing hard. But if the 49ers can come out there with one of their signature 15 to 20 play drives to open the game and and they can actually punch it in, I think you'll start to see some of that loafing. The tape on Seattle is ugly, guys. There's a reason they're three and eight. And yeah. uh, it's not just Russell Wilson being hurt. It, it's because their big money players aren't playing hard uh, at key junctures of the game. And I think that there's not a lot of will on this team. And I think the 49ers can break them if they come out and execute early.
2: Yeah, one of those 15-plus uh, play drives on the opening position would be just what the doctor ordered for, for the 49ers. Um, yeah, we talk about this every week. Every week is a challenge. And, uh, you know, I, I think the 49ers challenge this week is that they weren't great against the Vikings. There was some, some wobble there, which I, I think is attributable to, you know, uh, them coming back from an East Coast game, them playing really well the, the previous two weeks. And, you know, to their credit, sort of like uh, when you're riding a bike and the, and the front wheel starts to wobble, they got it back together before they, they spilled over. Uh, but, you know, the tackling was bad. Special teams were awful. Um, you know, worst special teams game of the year for them. Obviously, when you have a, a ninety-nine yard kick return, but Robbie Gold wasn't that good either. Um, it's it's those types of things. I mean, that's that's how the Seahawks um, when they were you know up and coming back in two thousand eleven and two thousand twelve. That's how they won games. Uh, really good special teams, and um, you know their their defense obviously was was terrific, but. Um, that's that. I think the 49ers have some challenges this week. That's to make sure that they don't have that same wobble uh, that they began the, the Vikings game, and then you know they're they're dealing with some some missing pieces here. Um, we we talked about Debo Samuel, no uh, Fred Warner for this game, which means that it's looking like a pair of undrafted guys, Aziz Alshayir and Demetrius Flanagan Fowles, will be the the every down linebackers, and Flanagan Fowles is. Uh, a converted safety. He's been a good special teams player, but this would be by far his, uh, his most prolific outing. And, and he's um, you know he's somewhere between safety size Dennis and linebacker size, which means he's probably in the, the high two, two teens, uh, low two twenties. And uh, if I'm the Seahawks and I see these two guys who don't have a whole lot of experience at the positions that they're playing I would uh, I would go I would pull you know a 49ers I would pull a Patriots and a Washington football team and just pound it on the ground and see if uh, the 49ers can kind of hold up against that and uh, they, they really haven't gotten that treatment a lot from other teams this year They've been dishing it out uh, but uh, that would be that would be the strategy I would use and uh, you know, I just wondering what you uh, what you think uh, the Seahawks might try to do to uh, take advantage of a, a, a Fred Warner-less 49ers defense.
3: They know Fred Warner's not going to play in this football game, so they're going to try to expose that young linebacking crew, but it gives you an opportunity. Like I said, it's an opportunity. I mean, you're have to. going to be on the football field. You are now a starter in the National Football League, and you have to play at a very high level. The one thing the 49ers have going for themselves is they got a pretty strong uh, front four. Uh, and you watch the way these guys have been playing, DJ Jones, Kevin Givens, and Contavious Street, they've been doing doing really well, especially in the middle. And we know what Nick Bosa brings. No D4, but whoever's going to be that other end, because of Nick Bosa and his play this this year, there's a, there's a lot of tension to him. So you have an opportunity to be one-on-one on the backside or the other side of Nick Bosa. So there, there, there are some plays to be made there. But that middle of the defense is where they're going to try to attack in the run game. The pass game is going to be a lot of tight end stuff. But running in the middle of the game and and, and middle of the defense and early in the season, that was kind of the weak spot. And they've really kind kind of got that going. Those guys in the middle there, they're playing really well, the defensive tackles. And when Eric Armstead's in there, he plays that middle really well. But yeah, guaranteed, that's going to be where they attack is that middle of the defense. And they're going to see, they're going to test these guys early in the football game. So again, you get an opportunity. You're in the NFL. You make a whole lot of money. If you're on the field, you got to earn it. And this week is going to be a uh, a challenge for that middle of the defense and that linebacker crew. And I think about the 49ers or the um, the Seattle Seahawks defense. I remember when they came into Levi's Stadium for the first game of this season, and it was all about this defense, how you can run against it, you could pass against it. And for some reason, they probably had their best game uh, uh, of their season against the 49ers. Now, the 49ers, you know, weren't clicking on all cylinders then. But again, you know, you, you, you can't forget about this is this is the Seattle Seahawks. And, you know, you have Pete Carroll as your head coach and he does a great job of motivating people. And the, and the Seahawks always seem to be fired up for the 49ers.
1: Well, the 49ers old friend, Kerry Hyder Jr., nine sacks of the 49ers last season, had a great season for them left in free agency to Seattle. He's not having a great season for the Seahawks, only one sack so far. Uh, He he injured Jimmy Garoppolo, not intentionally, but he hurt Jimmy Garoppolo in the first possession of uh, that game back in, what was it, late September. Yeah, that was in late September. It's amazing how time flies. We're recording this right now in December. So that was a while ago. Jimmy Garoppolo hurt his calf, thanks to some contact with Kerry Hyder on drive one. That progressively hurt his ability to drive the ball downfield and throw over the course of the first half to the point where the 49ers had to remove Garoppolo at halftime, and Trey Lance just wasn't ready to throw in in, in that game. Kyle Shanahan was reluctant to call pass plays, and when he did, Trey threw a couple into the ground. Uh, I mean, it was just a disjointed 49ers offensive effort and I think you know Dennis mentioned the 49ers weren't in sync I think that's the main reason uh their first quarterback was was hurt for most of the performance and then their second quarterback obviously was still a little too too green a little too raw to to handle that burden in the, in the second half but even despite all of that the 49ers Matt probably would have won that game had their special teams just not completely imploded and by implosion I mean Robbie Gold strained his groin during pre-game warm-up, so the 49ers had to have Mitch Wischnowski kicking, and uh, that obviously didn't go well for them uh, during the game. And then they fumbled a kick return. Trent Cannon fumbled a kick return that set up a Seattle touchdown. So the 49ers, in effect, wasted what I thought was their best half of defensive football yet all season, even to now. I don't know if they played a better half of defensive football they wasted that because they gave up like two touchdowns worth of points on special teams, and they also couldn't figure out the quarterback situation. And, you know, that that's it's hard to blame them for that because of the injury. But the main point is that a lot went against the 49ers that should be correctable entering this Sunday at Seattle.
2: Yeah, and especially coming off uh, another bad special teams game against the Vikings. That unit will make sure that it's uh, up to snuff in Seattle. Uh but it, it, it's a good point. I mean, um we saw Robbie Gold, for example, taking a couple of kickoffs. He doesn't usually do kickoffs. He turns 39 years old uh uh next week. So uh you don't want your almost 40 uh kicker doing the the kickoffs, but he still did a few, which tells me that um uh, there's something going on with Mitch Wishnowski. Either he's he's dealing with a minor injury or um, he's just in a rut as far as his kickoffs. And, and we saw that. I mean, I, I think it was clear on Wednesday when, uh, uh Richard Hightower, the special teams coordinator was asked, asked about that return. He, he certainly implied that the, uh, the intention was to kind of kick it out of the end zone for a touchback. Uh, but, um, it didn't happen. And, uh, you know, the, the returner came out and, and really nobody was close to him. Uh, Tchaikovsky, Tard, and, and Wisnowski himself had the had the best shots, but I'm not sure if that guy was touched on his way to a 99-yard touchdown. Um, and then the other uh, special teams issue is that, you know, when, when a guy like Demetrius Flanagan fouls um, has to play 60 snaps on defense, it means that he's not playing very much uh, special teams anymore. And the 49ers have leaned on him. He's one of their core guys him and uh, Dante Johnson. So it means that somebody else goes into that, that core role and it just changes a little bit. And I think we, we really saw that last year with all the, the injuries that the 49ers went through from start to finish. It meant there was a new crew at special teams, Dennis, On you know for every game almost. And, and their special teams weren't good. The coverage units weren't good. The return units weren't good. And I think it's just because it was a different 11 guys – Uh, from week to week, and and so, you know, with some injuries this week, I think you're going to see that dynamic, so it'll it'll be up to Hightower and his crew uh, to really kind of bounce back, because, um, you know, a a close game, and it could be won in Seattle, can be decided by special teams, and uh, you you know the Seahawks special teams are probably going to be Pretty good
3: in this one. I didn't play on any special teams. I think I was on field goal block. I was an offensive lineman on uh, PAT and field goals. I, I, I was next to Harris Barton, and I just kind of stood there, kind of fill space. But special teams are, are are so important. I mean, it's you know we saw last week how it we can kind of change a football game, and you know it, 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 that 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 99 yard touchdown run kind of kind of took 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 a lot of energy out. I, I was hoping it was going to be the mo- it was not going to be the momentum changer of the football game and it, it end up changing it a little bit, but the 49 just came right back. But it's still special teams is something that, you know, you spend a lot of time in practice on. I mean, there's a whole half an hour during practice kind of for special teams. And I used to sit and watch special teams. And I used to think, you know, you know what? These guys, you know, they, they're just the guys who are maybe the guys who are backups running down the field. You just got to make a tackle. You got to, you know, do some blocking. But it's its important. It's important to a football team that you're efficient on special teams. And you have to have those same guys in there. Once one of those guys kind of falls off, you know, it changes the whole dynamic of the, that's that particular special teams kickoff or punt or whatever it might be. You know, your rush lanes, you know, if you got someone in there and the special teams, I was talking to John Taylor and he said he used to love to return punts because he knew if he could beat the gunner, if he can get past the first gunner, then it was, you know, he just had to beat 10 other guys on the football field. And if they're if if people are holding their blocks, he could get a good return. So his goal was just to beat one man and he knew it would open up for him. So. You know, I think it's a it's a mindset, and it seems like the 49ers' special team, some weeks they're on, some weeks they're off. Some weeks Robbie goal's on, and some weeks he's off. Last week he misses that that field goal, and everybody's going, you know, what happened there? So special teams are definitely special, and it's important, you know, talk about the details. The special teams pays attention to details because, you know, in in the bigger picture, those three points or, or stopping that touchdown or flipping – flipping the field that's important in a football game
1: absolutely and it has been very consistent Dennis I think that uh, I mentioned I thought it lost the 49ers the first matchup against Seattle and if they hadn't been as on point offensively and as opportunistic as they were defensively against Minnesota special teams would have cost that game too so you just can't have disasters on special teams you know I think I said during the Vikings game, Special teams won't win you many games, but they can certainly lose you games. And and they've already lost the 49ers at least one game this year. And Seattle, they, I mean, they returned that extra point back for for two points the other way against Washington. Great example of a play, that, especially if it happens at whatever they call it now, Lumen Field, I think, is the name of the stadium up there now. That happens there with the fans back at an inopportune time. That, that's the kind of stuff that could start to snowball against you on the road and so far this season I think the 49ers have handled themselves well on the road but uh you know the margin for error is smaller when that crowd's going nuts and you have to make sure that you're on your p's and Q's and there's a lot of p's and Q's on special teams so that's going to be a key in this game uh, 49ers have a you know top five offense right now the DVOA has them at number three uh th- they're good both running and passing the ball. I think those two phases of the the game really feed off of each other. So obviously they have to keep that up. They have to continue blocking well up front. You know who I want to give a shout out to because I, I have spent admittedly a lot of time talking about how poor he's been at other times and earlier in his career, but Tom Compton played a good game for the 49ers against the Vikings. Just excellent in run blocking uh, the 49ers are obviously trying to shield all of their offensive linemen from pass protection. I mean, that's just good football to to do that, but I think the 49ers especially have to do that because they have a lot of guys who are better run blockers than pass blockers. But, uh, you know, one of our biggest worries about this team was that, oh, boy, Mike McGlinchey is out for the season. Do they have enough quality linemen to absorb this? Uh, and I, I don't know if we have a definitive answer on that yet, Matt, in the yes. But at least for that game against Minnesota, Tom Compton uh, delivered his best effort yet. And if the 49ers can continue getting that kind of run blocking effort from their big boys up front, combine that with Garoppolo being efficient on third down, which he has been, you kind of shield the weaknesses of that front and you could continue humming at that top five level offensively. And if that happens... The Forty Niners don't have to be intimidated of going anywhere, including Seattle.
2: Yeah, I mean, um, uh, give it up for for Tom Compton. Uh, th- this is a, a phrase that we hear Shanahan say all the time. By by no means was it perfect, and he did lit <laughs> l- no up a couple of uh, of quarterback pressures. But you're right; the run blocking was was really good, very strong, um, to the point where all those those pitch plays. Remember, that was sort of the. Uh, the the play du jour for Mike McDaniel and uh, the 49ers offense against the Vikings. It was uh, Jimmy Garoppolo under center and then pitching it out to uh, Elijah Mitchell. And and most of those, or maybe even all of them, I can't think of a pitch that went to the left, uh, were to the right. And, uh, you know, that's obviously Tom Compton's side. So he got a really nice grade for his run blocking. Uh, Basically all the 49ers did. Couldn't even throw... Daniel Brunskill into that mix. I mean, it, it was Brunskill who was, David, how many yards downfield was he on that Debo Samuel 40 run? to
1: 50. 40, yeah. He I mean, was I mean, way out there.
2: You don't see that every day. I actually think that Debo could have cut that in and gone the distance um, if he had done it uh, at the right moment. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, that, that's got to happen. And, and that's going to be the game plan. And, and you're right. It's going to happen right away. Uh, you know, P- Puna Ford is really good. He's given the 49ers fits in the past, but uh, just kind of working on that. It'll be interesting to see what uh, McDaniel and that group, it's always a, a new and creative game plan working within the, the structure of that zone rushing attack, what they have in store for Seattle. But um, yeah, this, uh, a, a nice punch to the to the jaw early on, Dennis, uh, would would be the, the right tone and and could kind of I don't want to say end it early, but uh would, would certainly go a long way towards a, a win on Sunday.
3: You know, I, I gotta give the offensive line a little bit of credit, which I think Dennis hate hates to do.
2: offensive linemen.
3: <laughs> but, but you know, when when you have comments after the football game like they held every single play. Now they do hold offensive linemen hold quite a bit and they're not call. But when a coach, a head coach says that He's basically saying his defensive line was getting mauled. And that means that they were running the ball against his defense and he couldn't do anything about it. That's what that means. And and that was true. You know, Elijah Mitchell, 133 yards. I think it was whatever. What was it? Six yards, a pop or whatever it was. That offensive line got after it. And and I think that's what Kyle Shanahan is kind of leaning towards. He wants to get his offensive line, bigger, stronger, faster, so they can maul people. And that's what they did against Minnesota. They just really, and they did the same thing against Jacksonville Jaguars. They just lock onto their blocks and they just drive. And for a defensive line, defensive lineman, you know, we're always trying to play an edge. So we're always trying to get an offensive lineman off of us. Bench press and disengage. That's what we're taught to do. If you can't do that, And you're standing up most of the time, especially if you're running sideways, sideline to sidelines, and you're getting pushed five yards off the ball, your linebackers can't flow. That's when coaches say you're being held if you can't get off of blocks. But that's just this offensive line, I think, with really good technique. And just running guys down the field, making it an easy read for running backs to find those rush lanes and just washing people down. And then you get comments, and it's a loser comment that they hold every even though they do hold every time. They're awful. But <laughs> that just means your offensive line is winning the line of scrimmage. And and that's what I've seen with this offensive line. They are they're starting to maybe get into their groove now because there's been so much talk about them and that unit. Uh, but they are really getting after people and, and it shows that that is what you need in your offensive line. And if you can keep doing that, and this this Seahawks Defensive line, you can do it against them because they give they give it up. They give up some yardage, and this is an opportunity again to to just run the ball and just pound it, pound it, pound it, and then take advantage of them in the fourth quarter when that defensive front is worn down. And Bobby Wagner's not playing as a Bobby Wagner anymore. He's not the same uh, middle linebacker as he used to be. So no. there's, there's more you can expose there.
1: That play that I was talking about earlier where Jamal Adams was loafing and – Washington just pounded it in from like 10 yards out. Wagner wasn't loafing. He he was trying to make a stop. He threw his body in there, but he just got pancaked. He just got destroyed. And I was shocked. I'd never seen that happen to Bobby Wagner. So I don't know if that was just a one-off play. I I don't think he looked terrible the rest of the game when I was watching him. But that one play, I just had to like clear my eyes, rewind the YouTube TV a, a, a few seconds just to make sure that was number 54. Who looked that bad, and it, and it was. So, um, we'll, well, I mean, here's the thing Washington, as Matt said earlier, employed a very 49ers esque formula. And by that, I mean they ran at volume. If you run at volume, and that was what 42, 43 carries for Washington, defenses are going to be different than at 18 or 19 carries for a team that's why you run at volume you don't run at volume because every specific run is more efficient than passing 20 yards downfield you run at volume because the the toll of that on the defense the bruises by the end of the game the soul gets sucked out of them theoretically the 49ers have done that and the Seahawks team I watched against Washington had the soul sucked out of them as well so um that that's the formula you know back to Mike uh, back to back to Zimmer talking about uh the 49 ers supposedly holding on every play. I just think that's the height of all irony because if there's a team that actually can legitimately go out there and complain that their defensive linemen are getting held, it's the one that sees Nick Bosa getting choked on almost every single pass rush, right? I mean, it's impossible to argue that Nick Bosa doesn't get held a lot and a lot of those aren't called. Joey Bosa is more vocal than Nick and he has a similar pass rushing style and Joey Bosa has already erupted and gone off at the officials this was a couple months ago where he said all the officials are blind uh, Nick is not at that level of I don't know I, I maybe it needs to be further into his career second contract I don't know he, he's not quite as vocal Matt <laughs> he's, he's not yelling about the, the officials yet but you can tell that that he wants some of those calls as well Uh, To the 49ers' credit, though, they haven't sat there after a game and just lost their cool like like Mike Zimmer did after the game on Sunday. Uh, That being said, if the 49ers get a few holding calls with Nick Bosa rushing, I think that could really help their defensive line because they, they need a little bit of a boost on that pass rush. Bosa's doing all this work, and nobody else is really putting up any numbers and th- they need a little bit more. So maybe that will start with a couple holding flags thrown because uh, – put on the tape. Nick is getting held out there. Um, I-, I don't know any other way to put it. You watch it, and I'm sure Dennis agrees too.
2: Yeah, let's let's throw it over to Dennis, who, who we should point out uh, has, A, already complimented or at least talked about <laughs> offensive linemen. And I, I, I hate to break this to you, Dennis, but this is an, an all-white uniform game that we're oh, heading yeah, into yeah. here. So we, we have to talk about that a bit. But I wanted to just kind of follow up with what David was just saying. Uh, is, is it something about how the Bosa's rush? I mean, is it just getting low as a defensive lineman that sort of is leading to all these sort of awkward hold choke holds, chokeholds that we're seeing uh, employed on on Nick Bosa?
3: You know, Nick Bosa, he plays, you know, with such low center of gravity. He's in front of his pads. And he's hitting those edges, and he's getting off the ball. So, as an offensive lineman, you know you're trying to get you know some hands on some surface so you can block him, and then all you're really getting is maybe maybe the side of his shoulder pad. So that outside arm is trying to get to the chest to kind of get squared up, but your feet are behind you. So the only thing you really can do it's going to be in a chokehold. And as a defensive lineman, I mean that's what you 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 know that chokehold's coming. So the next move. And it's changed a little bit I've noticed. And it's almost like a lot of guys are kind of flopping cuz once that arm gets around your neck if you put your if you put your hands up and fall down you'll get a call. Yeah. You know, Charles Haley used to teach a technique when you felt that that arm around your neck, you just take that other that outside hand, put it on the wrist and then just kind of rise it up and then you can go under it. But um, you know, that 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 was a different time, but now it seems like a lot of these these pass rushers you know, if you got that quickness and you can get hip to hip with an offensive lineman and he gets that arm around your throat, if you put your arms up and maybe fall down backwards or whatever it is, you'll get that call. And, you know, it's going to push that offense, that offense back a little bit. But it used to be that your counter move to that was just kind of lifting up the arm and going like a little like a little drawbridge. You know, one of those little you know, at the trains where the, the arm comes down to block the traffic. You just pick it up and you keep going around the corner. So, But you're going to get held because offensive linemen, I mean, that's part of their technique. They want to hold. That's what they want to do. That's how they keep you in front of them is by grabbing you. And, you know, actually, you can grab a defensive lineman as long as it's on the inside. It's just when your arm kind of goes outside, it becomes a hole. So they want to get a hold of your shoulder pads on the inside so they can kind of guide you a little bit. But he's so quick. He's off the ball. He's he's hip to hip. And these offensive linemen are like 6'8", 6'9". You know Nick Bosa is what six two six three, so he's going to be a lot lower. And they're not; the offensive linemen are never going to bend. I mean, they're they're pretty lazy. They're not going to bend at all. So all they can do is really hole. So I mean, you can complain about it, but yeah, it's going to happen because they're offensive linemen. And that's what they're taught to do. End of
2: that. <laughs> <laughs> now on to uniforms.
1: <laughs> it's an all white game. I mean, they've had. They've had some luck in them. They, they won that Dre Greenlaw game at Seattle in 2019, yeah. but they also had arguably their unluckiest game of the season in those uniforms during the daytime in Seattle last year. Jimmy Garoppolo got hurt. George Kittle got hurt. The season really ended that day, right? That was yeah. That was when Seattle just kept on blitzing the A-gap. That was a terrible Seattle defense, by the way, last season, Uh, entering that game. They got better after that one but they figured out the 49ers weakness and that was because they had like their fourth or fifth sh- string center that was the Hronus Grasu game and they just sent DJ Reed and Wagner and a- everybody you could think of they just blitzed the A gap and destroyed uh Garoppolo and and poor Hronus Grasu um so if the 49ers handle that i i don't know if Seattle has any other tricks left, right? They have Alex Mack now, so I think that's a key. Make sure the Seattle can't blitz you to death this time.
3: Yeah, and just eliminate, you know, the big plays by Russell Wilson. And, and you know, he's a guy that, you know, like I said, he seems like he's a little bit off, but he's still Russell Wilson. He's got a lot of, he's got two great weapons on the perimeter. And and if you don't get after him, if you, if you don't get that push up the middle, if you notice against Washington, there was a lot of gut pressure. And Russell Wilson was thrown off his back foot. He was trying to – he just wasn't moving around. He just couldn't get the ball off the way he wanted to because he had that gut pressure. So, I mean, there's there's some talent on that football team, and it is the Seahawks, and, and, and it's Pete Carroll. And Pete Carroll, like I said, he was my coordinator. He knows how to get folk to get players motivated. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you have to go up there business-like. It's a business trip. You got to go up there. It's a divisional game still. You got yourself uh, back into the playoff. Now you have to start stacking some more wins. So make it a business trip. Do what you have to do. Play clean football. Be consistent. Uh, and just don't give up
1: big plays. You'll be all right. You know, Matt, this Seattle offensive line, Dennis just alluded to it. it, isn't good. And it's, that's, it, it's interesting to talk about because this is part of a bigger picture problem for the Seahawks. You remember after last season's playoff elimination against the Rams where Russell Wilson just was getting harassed the whole game. Uh, The drama started, right? Russell Wilson started, I don't know if he formally demanded a trade or if he, he was disgruntled. I forgot what the exact language was. And he was mainly upset that there wasn't a good supporting cast around him, particularly along the offensive front, because he saw Patrick Mahomes get the crap beaten out of him because he was behind an injured offensive line in the Super Bowl. So Russell Wilson felt that he had leverage and he said, look, I need some more protection, right? And the protection hasn't really improved for Seattle, and they're particularly bad up the middle. Uh, Damian Lewis is the left guard. Kyle Fuller's is his backup. If Lewis can't play, he's probably going to be questionable. Uh, Ethan Pochich is the center, also not a good blocker. Gabe Jackson Former Raider, decent blocker at right guard, but center and left guard for the Seahawks have been bad, and the tackles haven't been playing well. As Dwayne Brown on the left side, Brandon Shell on the right side. Uh, it's now no coincidence to me. We look back at week four. Remember how overpowering the 49ers pass rush looked for the first quarter plus of that game? And we're like, oh boy, here comes the 49ers pass rush. They're finally back. Uh, I, I Now, I'm starting to think it was more Seattle. <laughs> the more I see of this season, it was more of how bad the Seattle offensive line was. They haven't addressed Russell Wilson's concern. And if there's a get well game for the 49ers pass rush, maybe it's this. I mean, this is a Swiss cheese offensive line. Uh, it has been for everybody else the Seahawks have played. So, why can't the 49ers overwhelm them again? Uh, that, that's what I'm looking for on Sunday.
2: Yeah, and we we just saw DJ Jones have a really nice game I thought against the Vikings. I mean, no no sacks or or anything flashy like that, but it, he was constantly kind of pushing that that pocket back and, you know, uh, against the Kirk Cousins, that's that's a big deal. I think he was doing exactly that on the uh Aziz Al-Shayer uh interception. But but you're right. I mean, he could take advantage. Eric Armstead certainly could. Um, Armstead has two sacks, um, just 10 pressures this year. So, uh, he, he, he could stand to add to the, the pass rush as well, but you, you alluded to it earlier. What, what they really need is somebody to step forward on that, uh, defensive end spot opposite Bosa. And, and I think Ebukam is kind of showing baby steps here and there. Uh, he's certainly getting a lot of snaps. So the, the 49ers at least think that he's. The best bet out there. It hasn't really come, uh, borne fruit as far as pressures and sacks yet. But uh, there's a sense that, like that it's 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 imminent. That it's going to happen soon. Um, of course, we only have six games left, so it's going <laughs> to happen quick. But you know, he's returning to you know the state where he played college football. This this would be a nice sort of coming out party. Or Samson You mentioned
3: Eric Armstead. We we haven't talked much about him, um, and I think this is a game, especially in the middle there, where he can use his quickness uh, and his speed off the ball to get some pressure on. A, I mean, he's he's that athletic defensive lineman that could that can corral a Russell Wilson. So I'm looking for a big game from him in the middle. DJ Jones in the middle. Kevin Givens in the middle. Because like I just said, that that that. Uh, interior push is what Russell Wilson does not want. Uh, he likes to climb the pocket because he's a little small guy, and he likes to kind of climb the pocket and find players down the field. But uh, on the inside, so uh, I mean, I, I'm gonna make a bold pred- prediction. I'm gonna think. I'm gonna say Eric Armstead gets three sacks this week against the Seahawks and just because we haven't talked about him much he's got two sacks right now you know he, he he he's had some good pressures i think this is a game where he put really puts it together he comes up with three sacks
1: and russell wilson's not moving as well as he used to right. there that might be the age i mean the he, the finger obviously is the big injury right now he missed i think he, was he throwing the metcalf early in the game it was just a quick pass a, a out pattern that he just sailed. You never see Russell Mil- Wilson miss that throw, so I think the fingers still, he just doesn't have that perfect control over the ball, but when I see that line just cave in on him, earlier in his career he'd you know perform these Houdini acts and get out of anything, but as time has gone along, guys are starting to catch Russell Wilson, so he can't run from it forever, and Eric Armstead's got the huge wingspan. I, I I could see him corralling Russell Wilson a couple times, so think that's an interesting prediction. I think we should circle back on that one next week. And any sack that Nick Bosa gets is a new career high. He's at 11 through 11 games. So obviously, he's on pace for 17 sacks. And look out if he has a multi-sack game. And um, trust me, against this offensive line, that's possible. It, it really is. I mean, these guys these guys are letting up pressure. And imagine a multi-sack game from Nick Bosa at this portion of the season. Say that he gets two or three. All of a sudden, you're looking at, what, 13 or 14 sacks, 12 games into the season. Um, <laughs> you're talking about a 20-sack season potentially. So, I mean, we don't talk about Nick Bosa enough. So, why don't we just kind of wrap this up by talking a little bit more about Nick Bosa. He's just such a good football player. Matt, I mean, not just the fact that he's rushing the passers so well a year after an ACL, but anytime the opposing team tries to run at Nick Bosa, he beats his block and he has like 15 tackles for loss. He's a complete player and I still remember my favorite Nick Bosa play was neither a sack nor a run defense play. It was a pass defense play. You guys remember the playoffs against the Vikings a couple years ago when they tried to throw a screen pass to Dalvin Cook and Nick Bosa dove and just cleanly batted it out of the air? I mean, he, th- that was better than any play a 49ers cornerback has made this season. And Nick Bosa made that on a pass in the playoffs a couple years ago. Anyway, that that's my praise of Nick Bosa. I think he deserves it because I watch some of these national shows. They're not talking about him. And and I think you need to be talking about Nick Bosa right now because he is a complete player. He's an all pro. If this continues, he's gonna break records because this is pretty awesome the year after an ACL.
2: Yeah, I think something that goes underreported is how smart he is. But both he and Armstead are really good at figuring out what the what the defense is doing and, and diagnosing those types of things, like the the screen or the one where they, they, they bait the defensive lineman to Come into the pocket and then they uh, take advantage with a, a short pass from the running back. I mean, right now it seems like Dak Prescott, because, um, you know, we, we heard Dennis's rant on offensive linemen. My rant is that quarterbacks just get all of these awards no matter what. I mean, in the Super Bowl, you, all you have to be is the winning quarterback and complete 35% of your throws, and you're going to be the MVP of that game. Um, and, and right now, Dak Prescott, coming back from a, a serious injury, is the front runner for comeback player of the year. Nick Bosa is having a better season, a much better season at defensive end than Dak, Dak Prescott is at at quarterback, but nobody's talking about him for for comeback player. And uh, I think you're right. I mean, a big game in December, um, you know, the 49ers kind of raising their profile as a playoff team will help, but I think that. Um, of all of the candidates uh, for that award, Bosa should be out out in front.
3: It's amazing to watch him run around. It it really feels like, and he said it himself. He feels like he's a better player, and uh, you know, come off that 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 uh, knee injury and, and and play at the level he's playing. I mean, this is a guy that gets chipped every play. He's on it most of the time. He's double teamed. Uh, and he still comes up with eleven sacks, and he's strong in the run game. I don't know how many, how many tackles he has, but you know he is he is he is the MVP of this defense right now. Just imagine if he you know if he can finish the season healthy, uh, and then have a complete offseason uh to get his body right, and then you know the the next season, the the, the following season, what what kind of player he's going to be. So, and he seems so focused. I mean, you hear him in in you know post game interviews and he, he's low key, you know, I I don't see he doesn't get over excited. But his heart is going or his body's going 100% during during a football game. And a lot of his sacks are hustle sacks. I mean, he's got great technique, he's got great speed off the ball, but a lot of it's hustle sacks cuz he's going so fast all the time. So he's impressive to watch. And it'd be great if, you know, coming off this knee injury, he ends up in the pro bowl at the end of the season.
1: He is I mean, it, it's unbelievable. He's only really in his second year because he missed uh, all of that year, technical year number two due to the ACL. And I think what we're seeing is special, and it's important to to recognize that moving forward because the 49ers defense isn't great. They're missing some key pieces, but is the kind of guy that could will a defense to – enter opportunistic positions because, I mean, you saw it. He turned the game around on Sunday against the Vikings. It was 14-7, Minnesota. They were driving the field. They had actually brought in an extra offensive lineman for the second time in that game. They did it twice early on. And they were giving the 49ers a dose of their own medicine. That extra offensive lineman allowed Minnesota to pick up a first down. And if that drive would have just kept on churning along the way that it was churning along, it could have been 21-7. And we're talking a reprisal of the Arizona game from a couple weeks ago. That would have completely changed the game. Well, what actually changed the game was Nick Bosa. First and 10 after that sixth offensive lineman came in to move the chains for the Vikings, Bosa registered a sack. He knows when to pick his spots. And he threw Kirk Cousins to the ground. Three plays later, the Vikings punt the ball. Forty 49ers take it back, and they tie the game. And boom, just like that, tide turned. 49ers scored 21 unanswered points. That was it. So it's just so important, I think, to recognize a playmaker like that and his impact on the larger flow of the game. And he certainly did it guys. I think the 49ers are going to win just really quickly. What do you guys think? I, I'm going 49ers by two touchdowns up here in Seattle, Matt, how about you?
2: Yeah, I'm not quite as uh, optimistic as that. I, I feel like this is going to be the, the last stand for Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson. It's going to be run, 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 and then deep bomb to, to DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Um, so, I, I think it's going to be more nip and tuck than that, but uh, I do think the 49ers will win. I'm going to go ugly score game. I'm going to go uh, 25-20 49ers.
3: And I can't believe we're doing predictions. We've done so good not doing predictions <laughs> and the 49ers have won football game. So, I am not going to come up with a prediction this week. How about that?
1: All right. Yeah, right. We'll, we'll see if that's the winning formula for the 49ers. <laughs> Dennis, not picking. Make sure if they win, make sure to never pick again. <laughs> yes. Oh, I, I haven't decided on my score yet, but I do think it's going to be close early. And then I think that just the more I watch of Seattle, the more their will just seems to get broken. And, but it could go sideways with the 49ers if they don't get off to a good start. That's the problem with these games. You know, th- these are domino effect games. Something goes a little awry, it snowballs against you. So I think the first 10 minutes are really important in this one. Anyway, for uh, Matt Barrows and Dennis Brown, this is David Lombardi. We will talk to you next time after the 49ers face Seattle on the Here's the Catch podcast.